Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Good evening and welcome to uh, Breaking the Silence to the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. You're right here in my home. We have an awesome program for you tonight, and I am so excited. I have been looking forward to this um, for a long time, and it's a dream come true. I actually, my favorite show on TV, if anybody knows me, is America's Got Talent. And uh, we have uh, a finalist, a two-time finalist. Uh, that's going to be on our program tonight, but her story, her voice, her determination, her strength, her endurance, her resiliency is even more important than being on probably one of the most famous shows uh, in the country right now. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Next week, we have the president and founder of Proverbs 31 Mentoring. Uh, It's a ministry that is literally trying to help and change women's lives uh, around the world. And that's going to be an awesome program. And then the following week after that, on January 22nd, we have two men that runs a veterans uh, rehabilitation ministry uh, up in Montana. And we casually met the other day on LinkedIn. We fell in love with each other. And these two guys are going to come in and uh, talk about the military and how they're helping veterans get through the PTSD and the transitioning from going from the military out into civilian life. That'll be on January 22nd, and we have just awesome guests coming on uh, after that. So just hang, keep on hanging with us. You know, as we go into, we're in a couple weeks into the 2023 year, and I want to let you know that I have discovered that you and I right now probably have so many reasons um, to be miserable. But we also have reasons to smile. I don't know anything about the specifics about your circumstances, the reasons that you have, your situations. But I do know uh, that you get to decide on what you focus on in life. And this is so important. I'm going to be really brief because I can't wait to get to our guest. But it's very easy to focus on the things around us that aren't happening, the amount to zero, things that aren't meeting our expectations. And we're making a conscious choice 
and wasting valuable <laughs> calories on being unhappy, on being miserable. And we make, when we make those decisions, our mood can snowball into a very dark place pretty darn quick. And all of a sudden, all other pain is amplified as well. And that's commonly referred to in life as the downward spiral. And I want to promise you 10 out of 10 times that the only change in growth you can have comes from breaking that cycle and putting yourself in a new position. Think about it. Every time we've tried something new in our life, learning to walk as a baby, learning to crawl as a baby, learning how to ride a bike, all of those type of things as kids, learning how to write, learning how to play golf, learning how any type of new skill, learning how to play the piano, even though this is my life force now, but learning how to do that was uncomfortable and it caused discomfort. Don't deny yourself the opportunity for a better life simply because you're scared to roll up your sleeves and do some work. And I believe our guest tonight exemplified what work was in her darkest and most painful parts of her life. And she got through that. She worked through that. She had to decide every day to do that. Life is going by. Don't waste a minute of it on being negative, on being offended, on being bitter. Make a choice right now to be happy. Nothing will make you happy unless you choose to be happy. Nothing can make you happy until you can be happy with yourself first. Happiness doesn't come to you. Happiness comes from within you. And that can change your world. Tonight, before you go to bed, or when you start a new day tomorrow, wake up and choose to feel blessed. Choose to feel grateful. Choose to be excited. Choose to be thankful and choose to be happy. Miserable, happy. The choice is yours. And I don't know why you choose miserable. Try happy and see how it goes for you. All right. I can't uh, wait to just welcome our, our guest tonight and a, uh, a fellow Houstonian, although she lives outside of Houston a little bit, uh, and the author of this book, and you can tell, did I like this book or not? I've got sticky notes, I've got all kinds of markings and circles and underlining and highlights, but she has written, and I recommend everybody to get this book tonight. This is a keeper. This is one that you can give to a friend at the office, buy several copies. It will not only inspire you uh, to how to keep on keeping on, choosing joy, choosing to, to live, but to finding your voice. And it's called More Than My Scars, The Power of Perseverance, Unrelenting Faith, and Deciding What Defines You. Catchy, Yaguchi, 
uh, is Nigerian-born author, a powerful singer, a TEDx speaker, an inspirational person around the country and the world, and she is also a bullying prevention advocate. We're going to talk about all of those different instances tonight. She was on a plane back in 2005, going innocently from Christmas break with 109 passengers. And the plane didn't just have a crash landing. The plane literally fell out of the sky, killing 107 of those passengers, including many of her classmates that was on that plane with her. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight, but I want to welcome to the program, Ketchy Aguchi. Ketchy, good evening. How are you? Good evening. Hi, I'm happy to be here and I'm fine. <laughs> well, you look fine. I just appreciate you being here. I am so honored that you uh, allowed your special time uh, away from other things that you could be doing uh, to be with us tonight, but I really appreciate it. And one thing I just want to say up front, your album that has been released oh, with wow. the Texas Tenors, yes. uh, with uh, wow. Jeffrey Lee. Jeffrey, uh, yeah, you listened to it. Oh, my gosh. Thank unbelievable. you. Unbelievable. <laughs> and that that don't you dare. Oh. Are you kidding me? Beautiful song. And I want thank to talk you. about all that, too. But just thank you for being with us tonight and welcome to the program. Thank you. Happy to be here. Truly, doctor. Thank you. So this event that happened in your life, mm. it came from outside of absolutely nowhere. nowhere. It was a typical day, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, and I, I have that mark right here. And the way you write is absolutely unbelievable. And on page 28, when you say, and then the turbulence started, and you go into this in such depth that I feel like I'm on the plane with you. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's absolutely unbelievable. How do you fathom, make sense of that now? Or now? Now. How do you, how do you look back at that? Uh, when you were younger in, in grade, no, you were in high school. I was in high school, yeah, 16. How do you put that in the the full game plan of what life was all about? It wasn't what you expected. Not How do all. you do that? Honestly, um, yeah, it was also it was a struggle just uh in like kind of putting myself back in that place in order to write about that experience as accurately as possible. You know, I had to revisit details about that day that I often don't think about, you know, now. And um, it was definitely very difficult, but I, I felt like I needed to really paint the most realistic, the most um, honest picture of what that felt like in the moment, you know? And so I had to take myself back to how that felt in the moment. And um that's that authentic reaction live as it was happening was what I tried to portray in the book. And um, even as I was writing it and remembering it, it was like a movie, you know, it, it as it was happening, I remember feeling like this was so unre unreal. It was just so unrealistic that this would happen in real life. And thinking back, 
it's still even more so, in fact, unrealistic because it's just not something that happens often, you know, and the person, you know, the person who experiences it lives to tell about it. So it's still a very kind of surreal situation for me. Um, and one that I just can't believe that one, much less two people actually survived it. So, um, yeah, it was, it was unexpected, unplanned for, and, um, just completely derailed my trajectory in life. Whatever I had planned didn't matter anymore once that happened and um, hasn't mattered since, honestly. Well, you know, I I was overwhelmed when you you mentioned and it. It starts off just a little bit of turbulence and turbulence. then you even had a line in there. It's no big deal. Everything's fine. It's fine. And then it continued on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then utter chaos, screams of terror, Jesus, Jesus, and and what's happening? Oh, God, what's happening? And then when you reached over and grabbed my friend, your friend's hand, um, tell me about that moment. Yeah, that was, um, it was just like, it was like a reflex kind of thing because, you know, what do you do? There's, it's just, what do you do? You know, and I couldn't even see anything. So I didn't know what was going on. I could just feel just the pressure in the cabin that just felt wrong and um, everything just felt wrong being in that plane. And amidst all the screaming, you know, um, I grabbed my friend's hand like a lifeline really, because, you know, she wasn't the only person I was familiar with on that plane, but she was the closest to me and she was physically the closest to me. So seeing her was like, and grabbing her hand, it was kind of like trying to grab onto something that made sense. And something that like would be like an anchor kind of, you know, in this crazy situation and um, seeing her eyes, you know, seeing her face mirror mine and my expression and my feelings definitely didn't help because it meant that this was real. We were both experiencing this exact same thing and it was happening to both of us and neither of us could help the other person out of that situation. So it was was the last thing you remembered, correct? The last thing I remember is is looking into her eyes, holding her hands and speaking to her, you know, speaking to her saying, should we pray? What's going on? Just exchanging those few words. And um, yeah, that was, that's the last thing that I remember, like the, the last action I recall doing before the darkness just kind of came and took over. And then I was opening my eyes into a whole different scene. But that's the last thing I remember being on that plane. You know, the way you write, even when you was in the coma state of mind and going in and out of that with dreams that you were having, uh, that was it's unbelievable movie. because I, I, you really, I mean, this would be an unbelievable movie. And I don't know if anybody's ever mentioned to you about or approached <laughs> you about. That's uh, interesting movie. you mentioned that because, yeah, I kind of have been recent, more recently since like last year, been in talks about that. So that would be cool. <laughs> um, I I could, and one, I hate to just keep going back, but this is so well written. And I don't want everybody to, to say, hey, well, you're letting all the cats out of the bag because this book is good from cover to cover. <laughs> um, but when you mention uh, it's in the book, The Coma, I mean, it's in the chapter called mm-hmm. uh, The Coma that you actually talked about the insane feeling of pressure uh, in your arms and your legs and like it was going to explode. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And was that because of the actual physical pain that you were enduring from all these burns across your body? Or was it just uh, the impact of, of what happened or what caused all that pressure that you were feeling at the time? Um, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was not about the pain, but about my, my body's physical reaction to the burns actually. So my, basically, um, the, the fire burning, you know, my flesh and my skin had caused my literal skin to expand, you know, and like just, just expand with so much liquid. It's apparently a thing that happens with extreme, um, burn, um, situations, so it was, it was just a, a bodily reaction to the burns. You know, it, for some reason, the body just kind of swells up like almost twice its size with, um, liquid essentially as though it's trying to retain as much liquid as it can, you know, because of the burns. So that's what happened to my skin, my body, my flesh, my muscle, everything just kind of expanded. And so I literally was feeling pressure, like my body, like my body was going to burst like a balloon. That's how I felt. And, um, it was a real thing. It was a real thing that was happening. And my mom, um, said that my body swelled to like more than half its size to the point that like when people, when the doctors saw me like 24 hours later, they like it, when I, cause the, I was transferred to South Africa from Nigeria in within like 24 hours. And when I first arrived in South Africa, the people who got me the, the emergency treatment people that got me in South Africa that received me thought that I was a guy, like I was a man. That's how like much my body expanded. And, you know, because of my high school, we had, I had short hair because everyone has has to cut their hair. So um, it didn't help matters either, you know, but um, that's just something that apparently happens like to the body, like biologically with um, when it gets in contact with like third degree burns, essentially. So that's what that pressure was. It was horrible. It was a horrible. Do you remember um, the mental thoughts that was going through your mind because um, you was coming you was coming out of the coma and you said as I lay there with my arms still raised I felt my, my entire body go numb again mm-hmm. and then you mentioned that I was no longer oriented so now mm-hmm. I could actually see the hand that was raised up mm-hmm. and all I could see was my skin. raw red flesh and literal strips hanging off my yep. lower arm palms and fingers. Yep. And you, it came into your mind. That's my skin. Yeah. Yep. How did how did that affect you? Honestly, what I ran through your mind during that time. I was just in awe. Really, it was. It, there was really no time, at least in that situation, to like react to um the fact that my skin was like like literally hanging off me in shreds it wasn't a reaction like oh my god what am i gonna do how is this gonna get fixed it was just like oh that skin would do that in the first place you know like you know i i i kind of didn't really register anything past the fact that like my skin was doing something that it was not supposed to be doing and um that was really all i had the presence of mind to do at that time was just kind of like take stock of the situation and just realize like, whoa, like, why is that happening? What the heck is going on? At that point, I really couldn't even think about the fact that like this had been caused by a plane crash. So the the correlations had not even had a, t- a chance to like, mer- like happen in my head. 
I was just fully reaction, like re, it was a fully reactionary, um, like behavior that I had. I, all I was doing was reacting to my, my current circumstances. So putting things together, you know, about how this happened, what it meant, all that stuff came much later. I didn't have the presence of mind to go further than that. So it was really in that moment, just like once I got numb and the pain meds started working and I could actually kind of like see what was happening around me. The only things I cared about was the fact that my mom was finally there with me to just kind of help make sense of the situation and make me calm. And that I could see that my skin was not doing what skin was supposed to do. You know, right. uh, that was pretty much it. And, and um, the uh, the anchor of your mom's voice was powerful, right? It was the single most important thing in that moment for me. In fact, from that moment up until years past, in fact, but more critical in that moment and the next seven months that were to come. For her if, to read the Bible to you, read to you. And then when you still had the uh, the breathing tube in, you, you mouth just talk. Yeah, and you just wanted to hear her talk, and she would just talk about random things, anything, just to, everything and anything, just to feel, just to the important thing, not really what she was saying, but just that she was saying something, that it was her voice saying them to me. Wow. Was, yeah, and you were in because you know we, if people want to know all about that story, we can go. I mean, I can go every page, every paragraph because it just grabs you, and when you pick it up, you won't put it down until you finish it. I promise you. Um, when you finally came around and your and your mom, you said, "How's everybody else?" Yeah, and your mom didn't tell you full truth. No, she said uh, because of the impact that would have had on you at that time. That was probably the wisest decision. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but then when you found out the truth, yeah, that had to put you in a spiral of. Because you cried yourself to sleep, I probably you probably cried every tear that you had plus more uh, all night long when you found out they're all gone. Yeah, that was um, that was definitely despite everything I'd been through so far. That was definitely the hardest part of the entire experience, realizing that like no matter how bad my situation was, I was the lucky one. That was that was a hard pill to swallow. The fact that. This is really bad. I've gone through at least three months of this, and I know that this is a really bad situation to be in. It's very painful. There's just a lot of negative things about it. Yet, I was actually the one who was at, like, I was the I was in the most um, advantageous situation. Like, I was the most lucky out of everyone that was from my school, at least that was on that plane. You know, because there were two survivors. It wasn't just me, but I was the only one who survived from my school. So um, just realizing that I was the only one, you know, it, it, I think it was a, it was a necessary perspective change for me. You know, um, it helped me just kind of uh, stop seeing things. So it helped me stop this spiral of self-pity that I had been on, you know, um, where I was grateful I was alive, but I was feeling kind of like down that I, I seemed to be in the worst position with the injuries Realizing that was not the case was um, shattering, but um, also a very necessary reality check, you know. Um, and then the when the gravity of what it meant to be the only one that survived from my school started to hit in like kind of in stages, you know, the fact that, okay, so none of those people that were I was on the plane with made it. Okay, so 
my friends aren't, they didn't make it. Oh, so, so Takia didn't make it. Okay. So their parents didn't have, like their kids didn't come back from school. They, they got bodies, you know, just thinking about things like that. I think it was just layers and layers of what it meant to be the only survivor for my school that kept hit, hitting me, you know, in waves and um, just kept making me kind of spiral more and more into this really dark place where it was like, I didn't understand. It was less well, about- How often did you ask yourself, why me? Why that did I about, make it? It was really less about why did I make it? Why did I make it? Why was it me? Why me? And more about why didn't others make it? You know, I, I was in the process of learning so much about this apparently all-powerful God that could do anything and save anyone had saved me. And now I'm finding out that he didn't save 107 other people that were on that plane, 60 of whom were children. And so I just could not understand, like, clearly you can save us because you saved two people. Why not save everyone? It made no sense to me. And it made me really upset because it was like, that's, it just went, it was contrary to what I was learning about him and how powerful and how strong and how much he cared about us. And I'm hearing that, like, he didn't save everyone. Like, why wouldn't he save everyone? So it was, it was the focus, I think, for me was always more about, like, I didn't understand why he wouldn't just go ahead and save every single other person, you know? Why put all those other parents and those families in in this kind of painful situation, you know, where they have to bury their kids or their little sister or brother or whatever, you know? Um, I think that was what it was for me, really. So, because I was always grateful that I was alive. I was grateful for my, I, I recognized fully that this was a second chance at life that a lot of people did not get when they were in a similar situation. So I could not be ungrateful for a life that, that like made my mother so happy specifically, you know, that it just, I I couldn't be unhappy about that, no matter how difficult it was to stay alive. But I just felt like every other parent deserved to at least have that, you know, and they didn't. And it made me really, really sad for them. So I think that was really where most of my grief came from. Right. Since then, have you, have you come to peace with that? And how do you manage that type of reality check of, Hey, God's more powerful than what I know. I don't know the, the game plan, but how do you actually wrestle with that and get any kind of peace? Well, for me, it was, um, it came down to some very simple concepts, you know, um, number one, what role was I going to allow this tragedy to play in my life? And also what role was I going to allow God to play in my life? You know, um, I could either see him as this like wicked being who didn't, who chose not to save children, let them die and um, let this tragedy happen. And uh, just, you know, picks and chooses who he wants to save or I could see him as just this like fictional character that did not really exist because, you know, life just happens and we're just all subject to fate. Or I could see him as a place of refuge when mm. things go bad, when things go go so bad that you literally feel like you will die if you have to bear this burden on your own. I could see him as a place to go to to replenish my strength and to be comforted when things are painful and hard. 
and to be rejuvenated and given strength to continue living this hard life that I, this, these cards I've been dealt. And up until that point, I had luckily, well, you would say at least luckily, it felt lucky to me that I had experienced things that literally had not come from my mom or from my dad or from my family, things, feelings of peace that really didn't make any sense considering what situation I was in that had proven to me that at the very least there was something out there that was beyond humanity, you know? Wow. So so I had gone to that point in my life, in my treatment, in my journey, in this burn survivor journey, where that had become a fact to me. So I couldn't deny that there was there was something there in the first place. And I was trying to learn about that something, you know? Um, so I couldn't say it was fictional. That much was just impossible. Not with all the weird things that had happened around me, the weird dreams, the visions, and just so many things that were just so unexplainable when it, in like concepts, like, you know, human concepts, you know, I had to go beyond that to understand them. So on that base, basis alone, that scrapped that second choice. And then I didn't want to see him as a God of vengeance because he hadn't proven to be that in my life so far either. He had healed me and answered prayers in ways that I didn't believe were possible until they happened to me. And so I knew that he could do good things. I knew that he he wanted good things for for the people that he loved and he loved all of us. So and I had been I had been an example of that love many many times so far. So this one situation where it turns out that he didn't do things as I expected him to shouldn't change the core of who he is, you know, um, to me or to anyone else. And so this is something, these are, these are perspectives that came to me, not just like in a vision or like an epiphany, but through like a lot of just effort from my parents, from my mom, specifically my grandma, my aunt, people who were pouring life into me, reading the Bible to me and trying to show me, God, not as not so much in just reading the Bible to me, but in their actions and the way that they exemplified the things that they said he was about. So he had put people in my life that were literally living examples of the love that he said he had for us. And so I could not see someone like my mom or my aunt or my dad and feel like he did not love us because the amount of love and support I got from these people alone was enough for me to understand that he definitely put the right people in my life to deal with what I was going through. So I see him that way. Yeah. I just wanted to see him as he didn't, he, he's not the person who causes bad things to happen, but he is, he is there when they do happen so that we can, you know, gain strength and comfort from him. You know, that's, that's, that was the way that I chose to see him. So it was a choice and um, choosing that made all the difference. That's great, catch. I tell you what, we're going to take our first, we're all our only break tonight. 888-627-6008. My phone is just uh, vibrating like crazy. People are coming across. We're getting things on the Facebook of people that you are touching and motivating and moving. When we come back uh, after this break, it's only be about a minute break. I want to find out why the title of the book, and then we'll talk more about the faith. Hang with us. We'll be right back. 888-627-6008 if you want to call in. Be right back. Hang with us. From HCI Publishing. 
that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back and do me a favor. Don't go on Amazon tonight, buy my book. Go on Amazon tonight, buy this one, because this will absolutely, yeah, my book's all right, but this book will absolutely <laughs> lay you out. And uh, enough people have bought my book. But um, I tell you what, we have a couple questions that I think is really good. Kimberly has said, matter of fact, she loves your book. She has bought multiple copies. Uh, oh, my gosh. And, and uh, she said, thanks for sharing it. But she also asked, do you still keep in touch with Toki's mom? I don't know if you pronounce it Toki or Tok, but Toki's mom. Okay. Do you, you still keep okay, in touch yeah. with her? Toki's mom. That was she was a that was a hard relationship to maintain for sure for both of us. Um just because of the just how personal the the loss was to her, to me. Um so after I moved to America, we lost touch completely. I saw her um, sometimes before I moved here. So b between 2006 and seven, that's that's the period of time where I was in South Africa and then eventually again in Nigeria before I came to America. So during that time in Nigeria, yes, we we kept in touch. We talked. We had a very, very important conversation before I came to America that I think was something that we both needed to have. You know, it was kind of, it would, it wasn't really about closure, but I think it definitely just helped her specifically a lot to just hear some details from me that she probably would never have known had she not visited me. And we just talked and prayed together. And I think that um, there was some, a lot of healing that happened during that visit that sustained us moving forward. But I did reach out to her when I was writing my book to make sure that it was okay to document our conversation um, for everyone else to read, basically. So I wanted to make sure that she would be okay with that. So I reached out to her after more than a, more than 10 years or so of living in America um, and just knowing that she's alive and she's okay back home. Um, but yeah, I reached out to her. This was in 2020, 2020. Yeah. 2020. And um and uh, I just basically, you know, we, we talked a little bit, caught up, you know, on each other's lives a little bit. And then I I let her know what was going on. I was writing this book and I told her what I wanted to do, how I wanted to talk about her and myself in our conversation. And I sent like the the entire part like of the book that she would be mentioned in to her to vet and make sure she was OK with it before I um, added it to my book. 
and um she was well thank god and um she gave me the um approval that i needed and um yeah that's that's uh so i, I have because of the book i have talked to her recently the title more than my scars you come up with that yes i did why <laughs> i mean it's just who i am <laughs> it's there's no better there's no better phrase to describe me as a person i believe and um it's my mantra it's it's quite literally my life mantra i am more than my scars and I think yeah. that um, I just, I feel that so deeply inside me. And I believe that so deeply about myself. And I want that to be the truth for everyone else out there who may have encountered any kind of trauma, whether it's as obvious as mine or invisible, all are valid. And I wanted to choose a title that I believed in, that I wholeheartedly embodied, and that um, I felt like other people other readers might also relate to. So um, that's why I chose more than my scars. When, when you was on uh, America's Got Talent, one of the guest judges, one of the nights that you was on was Seal. Yes. And he made the comment to you after he applauded the way you sang, which I, I would, can imagine that's only was overwhelming for you. But he said, you uh, personify strength through vulnerability you remember the comment i will never forget it yeah that's powerful strength through vulnerability it was it meant a lot to me like that he would up and hugged you that night right yes he did yes he did it was it was really a very touching moment for me that he would see me hear me sing encounter me and and say that say those words to me it made me feel validated really that I was living my life and putting out there what it is that I wanted to put out there about myself and about um just what it means to just be a human being, you know, living living in a world that is flawed essentially. So I was very grateful that that's how he saw me. And I was just it was just very humbling, honestly, you know, um, because he didn't know me from anywhere, you know. Yeah. Um, so um yeah I was very, very, very touched by that sincere and i'll never forget it literally <laughs> you know vulnerability i think in your case i applaud you because when i go on your website and look when you're out doing things when you sing even on america's got talent the times you have um you try not to cover anything up this is who you are yep. right now and oh that reminds me the song this is me is my favorite on, on your yeah. album, but anyway, um, <laughs> it, it, it's just so it's so beautiful that you don't try to, you know, always wear long sleeves, always wear, uh, you know, all the way down to the the ankle yeah. pants. And matter of fact, Evelyn on Facebook uh, says, "How do you handle and how did you handle the people that stared at you at first, knowing that you were different?" How how did that impact you emotionally? Uh, and how did you handle that? So with the staring, honestly, it's hard for me to be offended by it because I do have awareness of how I look. I'm not exactly 
I'm not, I don't look conventional or normal anyway, as far as the standards of normal go anywhere in the world. I think it's only natural for my parents objectively to, you know, um, draw attention or to at least gain like a second glance from a stranger. So when I think about, I, I'm very, um, what's the word? I, I, I tend to easily see things from other people's perspectives, I suppose. So I believe if, you know, we flip the situation by, if it was like, flipped, I would also kind of give a person who looked like me a second glance because it's just human nature. Most people are not doing it to be offensive. They're just like surprised by someone who looks the way that I do, you know, the way that my scars have changed my face. So I think it's only natural. And so I typically just reflexively afford people that um, grace, essentially, you know, to believe that most of the time people are not just out to get you or out to make you feel bad about yourself. You know, they're just surprised, you know? And you know, so we, we thought we were just going to be interviewing you and your story, but you're revealing to me your heart. And that <laughs> is an unbelievable uh, <laughs> statement that you just made that you allow them that grace. Wow. That tells oh, me what kind of person you really are. Oh, wow. You're, you're so kind. Thank you. Uh, um, it's, it's really how I feel, you know, um, and, you know, I have to say also, I can only kind of give what I get. And, and you know, it's it, it's the same. It's the other way. The other way around is, is right, too. You know, I can only get what I give out there into the world. So um, I think I think that um, despite what, hap- what has happened to me and how different it's made me look physically, I have experienced 99% more positive than negative from just random people um based on my appearance honestly and even if anyone was saying anything bad about me it's not to my face so i i can't really be bothered about things that i'm not aware of <laughs> if you don't say it to me then how am i supposed to know about it so i can't i don't bother thinking about that i just worry about what's done in front of me you know and most of that stuff that has been done in front of me has been positive so um the ratio is very good and good enough for me to feel comfortable enough to just kind of live my life in my new, you know, skin, I suppose, without worrying about what other people think, you know, um, I'm lucky enough to have not been impacted further than my physical, like my skin, literally with this accident, you know, I didn't lose any limbs. I think that alone is a blessing that I have to celebrate by just doing all the things I can do, thankfully can still do despite what happened to me. And the fact that what happened to me can actually be as bad as taking away people's limbs and things like that. I know that like in grant in the grand scheme of things, I can still run, jump, hold things, touch things. I mean, I'm I'm grateful for that. So I live my life as such, you know, and I do things that I would have done whether or not the accident happened, you know, so because that's that's a privilege that I have despite how bad this was. So yeah, I think that's pretty much how I, to answer the question more directly, that's pretty much how I live my life. I just, I go around just not assuming that people are thinking the worst or want the worst for me or whatever. And most people, most encounters have been kind. So um, I think me just putting my authentic self out there has allowed me to receive authenticity from the world as well, more than not. So um, it's made it more and more easy to just be myself. Yeah. That's good. When I when I read a book, uh, and I read the book for all the guests that are on, but I always try to find a line or a sentence 
that is the line. Uh, and I, I found this in called the drive chapter. It says, but then when your life gets derailed and everything is suddenly away from you, be it beauty, fame, fortune, money, or even just the promise of all these things that arguably make life more interesting and worthwhile, mm -hmm. when all you have less, left is just your life itself, it is. what happens to your drive? Mm -hmm. What keeps you going when you have nothing left? Powerful, unbelievable. Everybody ought to ask themselves that question. That was, yeah, <laughs> I I felt, you know, writing, yeah, I remember that. That's, that's like, almost like a, one of the first things that I thought about, you know, um, in the beginning, this was like when things just, just started, I hadn't even gone to the worst of things at that point. That was, that was a point in my life where I was still hanging in the balance, really, you know, I was, it was still not completely, um, certain whether or not I would survive what I was going through. And I think that that's exactly why that thought process mattered because I felt like I literally was hanging on by a thread. I didn't have anything and it was just as easy to, if not easier, it was easier in that time, in that moment to just let go and stop struggling so hard to, to stay inside this body that that felt broken beyond repair, it would have been so much easier to just let go and just just float off away and float away from life, essentially. But um, I needed an anchor. I needed something that was not external, you know, to hold on to. I needed, even if it was, I just needed something external, internal, whatever. I needed something to hold on to. And, and at that point I had nothing in my life except the life itself to use as a reason to hold on, you know? So that's why I, I, I grasped onto my mom with all my life, the rest of everything I had, because that was at least something that was tangible, that I knew was um, real and steady, steadfast, that could give me a reason to keep, to just keep going a, a few extra hours a day into a few, like one day after the other, into one week after the other, until I got to a point where it became a kind of self-competition. Yeah. How much further can I go? How much more can I survive? Can I make it to next month? Can I make it? It became, you know what? I want to see just how far I can actually go when it comes to staying alive. And I think that that's, that's what I was trying to like describe when I meant like, you know, what do you do when all you have is just the life bare as it is? How do you grasp onto something as a reason to stay? And at that point, it had to just be this, this, this self will to just keep on proving to myself that I could, I could stay, I could continue. And but to get there was, Without my mom, it would have been, it would have just been impossible, honestly. She was the catalyst, really. Right. So, um, and I no, think that's no. the thing. You need something. It doesn't yeah. matter what. You need something. When you finally came here to America, 
Yeah. Went down to the Shriners Hospital. It was right down the street here at Galveston. Okay. Yeah. And you had over a hundred and what twenty uh, different surgeries and procedures yeah. and skin grafts and uh, I don't even know the there's different numbers on different yeah. news reports, but a lot, a of, lot of treatment there at Shriners and Galveston. Yes, definitely. What do you think of that place? Do you go back and visit? Yes, I do. And you um, get to, to go up and talk to the kids and share with them. And yep, I do. And I do that at events as well, where I meet different uh, burn survivors, burn ambassadors. I'm also a patient ambassador for Shriners and they have others, you know, who are current patients. And um, yeah, I'm always happy to give back to Shriners, like in whatever capacity I can, because they quite literally gave me back my life, my independence. Right. You know, they gave me back the ability to live the way I'm living now. So I owe that to them at the very least to encourage other people the way that they encourage me to show also these kids what life looks like when you leave the hospital. You know, it's, it's not just hospitals, even though it feels that way in the beginning, but that's not all your life is going to be. There is life after all that. And I, I, I believe I am proof of that. And I want to show that to these kids to, give them something to look forward to. That's fun. You know, that's not just surgeries, I think. So, um, yeah. That's great. That's great. Now, America's Got Talent. You were on that and you became the finalist. And um, and then I believe uh, you went on the America's Got Talent, the champions, yeah. uh, something <laughs> like that. And you got Simon Cowell's golden buzzer. Now, what did that do for you? <laughs> not many people <laughs> that did that. <laughs> That was uh, so affirming. I think it was like him telling me that he believed that I had earned my spot in this in this talent show, you know, based on my talent and not just because I had this, well, honestly, incredible story. You know, it, at the end of the day, it's a show about talents. And, and, and I definitely struggled, especially the first time around in – I struggled with seeing myself as like um, deserving to be there with oh, everyone. Was that when he told you to stop singing and and take a breath, take a drink that of water. Was, that was the very first time in twenty. The first time. Yeah. Oh, I was I was watching that. It was like, oh my land, Simon, what are you doing? <laughs> and but what it did, it just let you restart. Yes, reset, it did. He and you seemed to relax. Felt like yeah, he gave me. He literally gave me a second chance that day. That that was it because he obviously felt like I could do better. And you know he's been known to do that a, a bunch of other yes. times with different people. So um, experiencing that firsthand was nerve wracking as heck, but I needed it because I I wasn't giving my my like my honest best the first time around. I was too nervous. So I'm glad he did that for me. But like during that golden buzzer moment, which was the second time I was on the show. I felt just really validated really by that buzzer because I felt like he was trying to tell me that, you know, he really felt like I had something there and I, I deserve to be here. Like this AGT champions that I was one of the people that they felt embodied that, that phrase, you know? Yeah. So I was very grateful, so shocked, completely blindsided by it, but it was a true honor. You know, it really yeah. was. And um, of course, you know, it's, it, brought a lot of great things, great attention, great opportunities and things like that. And um, I think in the grand scheme of things, being on that show was really the main thing I've gotten from it is that platform, you know, that I have right now. So um, I will always be like just eternally grateful to that, to that show for what they did for me in my did, life. Um, 
have they given you the opportunity to be on this latest uh, champion series that's coming up that's oh, been yeah, on the last two weeks? The all-star one. No, I haven't. No, they haven't reached out. They typically would if they wanted to, but they haven't. No, they haven't reached out for that. But I have been a part of their Vegas lineup for a while. I was on it last year in 2022. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Towards the second half of 2022, I went on the Vegas um, show in uh, Luxor Theater, I believe. Luxor, yeah. In yeah, Luxor. It's Luxor, yeah. And um, yeah, I've been, so I was on their lineup for quite a few shows, stretch of stretches of shows um, in 2022. And I'm going to be um, featuring on that a lot as well, this 2023. So um, it's pretty cool how they kind of try to keep you within the, I guess, family, you know, quote unquote, and um, just continue to give you more like opportunities, you know, to just showcase your talent and um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to more shows this year as well. But yeah, well, that'd be great. Next time I go to Vegas, I'm going to go to that one, and and hopefully you'll be you'll be on. And, I'll uh, definitely announce when I am there, so that people who follow me or who know me can get an opportunity if they have a chance to come check out one show. It's really a fun show. So that'd be I great. It yeah. <laughs> be, how um how can people get in touch with you? Get on your website, get your music, get the yes. book, all of those different ways. What's the best way to just reach out to you, Ketchy? Best way to reach out to me, definitely social media and my website. So my website is catchyofficial.com and my social media, specifically Facebook and Instagram. I'm very active on there and Twitter as well. Just type in Ketchy and look for the blue check mark and that's going to be me. And uh, I look forward to all of you reaching out and send me DMs. Let me know what you think about the show, about my book, my music, if you get to listen or read any of that stuff. And uh, yeah, just keep in touch. Stay tuned. And uh, hopefully this year will be an interesting one for me and for y'all as well. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing tonight. And I, and I really recommend everybody right now get on the website, like it, follow on every one of her social sites. That's always thank just a good you. thing to do. Also get on Amazon and like and review the book. Yes, please. Yeah, it's so hard to get people to review books. It's the review hardest the thing. Book. But I'm and, grateful uh, for all the ones I have so far. It's absolutely that just always help. And if you before you go to bed tonight, everybody that's listening, go on YouTube and type in catchy and <laughs> uh, the this is me, and then the song Don't You Dare. Oh. Don't go to bed without listening to both of those songs. <laughs> Absolutely will so lay much. you out. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. I Thank you, Ketchy. It's been great. It's been an honor. Anytime you want to come back, you are welcome here. And anything we can do for you here, uh, let us know. And I will see you in Vegas. Uh, yes. <laughs> I promise you that. That's going to be awesome. Thank you for sharing. Thank okay. you for being a champion and showing your heart. And you. you definitely did that tonight. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Dr. William. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you. As we do every show, well, I'm just so, this was awesome. We do every show and close out. No matter what you've gone through, and you see this in Ketchy's life, no matter what, it could be the darkest day, the darkest time of life, life, the darkest, worst, horrible, tragic accident that could ever happen. There's always hope. There's always hope. And we saw that in our guests tonight. Get this book. You will not be disappointed. I promise you. Thank you again, Ketchy, for being with us. God bless. Have an awesome week. And we'll see you right here next week live for another edition 
of Breaking the Silence from Houston, Texas. God bless. Have an awesome week. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.